I had this story in me like 15 years ago, but now's the time. It's called Coffee Beans in Love. And it's about a passionate mother who fights to save her immigrant parents' cafe from a powerful real estate mogul. So that's kind of like the logline, but it really deals with themes of a multi-generational, multi-ethnic family. I wanted to finally tell a story that had characters that were from different parts of the world, but they're a family. Welcome to What's Her Story, the podcast for ambitious women who are ready to use their story as a catalyst for change. I'm your host, Erica Akingwe, bestselling author, content strategist, and author coach to high-achieving, globally-minded women. I started this podcast because, honestly, I'm nosy. Every time I see a woman shining, living aligned and abundant in life and business, I wonder, ooh, what's her story? I know this. Women who believe in themselves and their story are better equipped to help others transform. So if you're ready to connect over honest conversations, and be inspired by other impact-driven women, you're in the right place. Sit back, relax, and welcome to the What's Your Story podcast. What's up, y'all? Welcome back. I have been just delighting in this summer author series. The women that I have been able to have conversations with and bring to you, just, it just, uh, blows my mind, warms my heart, makes me so excited about this meaningful work of each of these authors. There's just something so impactful about a woman who owns their voice, really takes the time to write a book, which is not just putting words on pages. There is so much internal processing that happens There is so much mindset work around being seen and heard. And then of course, turning our mess into a message, turning our pain into purpose, and just really using what experiences that we've had to create transformation in other people. So it's such meaningful work and I'm just loving getting to talk with these women writing their books, producing beautiful stories. And I hope that you've enjoyed this series as well. I know you have. (laughs) Many of you have messaged me or um, tagged me on Instagram, just sharing your takeaways or, wow, that was a great episode. Keep it coming. I really appreciate hearing from you because That's what this is all about. Today's guest is a dear friend of mine. Have you ever met someone where you're like, yeah, I know we've known each other five minutes, but it feels like a lifetime and we're definitely meant to be friends forever. And um, will you be my best friend? That's exactly how my relationship with Deja started. It was very fast and it was very deep. And I'm just so grateful for her insights into identity, insights into raising multicultural families, 
insight into representation and how it impacts us as we're growing up, developing, as we're parents of kids, as we're learning to navigate new aspects of our own identity. And so this conversation with her is really, really meaningful work. Deja Henry is an award-winning actor and filmmaker living in Indianapolis with her husband, three kids, two dogs, and a cat. She has just completed filming a documentary on prison reentry in Indianapolis and is working on her first feature film called Coffee Beans and Love. Her goal is to tell diverse stories that transform lives and elevate culture. She is currently working in her master's in social practice art. Work on identity is such deep work, such meaningful work. I feel like if you've done any kind of identity work, it is like peeling an onion, okay? You cry in between, but for sure, as soon as you feel like you've gotten a new layer of understanding, you are met with the reveal of yet another layer that just keeps on blossoming. I think that as we look at identity through society's eyes, we can look at the external. Like what's your job? What's your role? Where do you live? Who do you live with? You know, kind of this outward identity. But the beauty is really in the layering that happens through connection, through seeing stories in film and seeing stories in literature and documentaries and biographies. And when we can see ourselves in other people, we gain a new insight into ourselves and what connects us. And so today's conversation with Deja is about her thesis topic actually, which is processing identity through film. And yes, this is an author series. And yes, Deja is an author. Her book is called, I Dare You Not to Compare Yourself to Others. And her work, when we think about story, it absolutely comes out in books and absolutely comes out in films. And so this seemed very seamless to talk about identity through film in the midst of this author series. I am really excited about her feature film, Coffee Beans and Love. We do talk about it in our conversation, but I wanna just put it up front right now. She is doing a crowdfunding campaign. You can find all about it at www.coffeebeansandlove.com. There are times that we can support women in our words, in our deeds, in our actions, in hiring them, in volunteering. You know, there's so many different ways. This is such a tangible way for us to support a woman who is bound and determined to increase representation in film and specifically in the faith-based genre. And so if this is a cause that nudges on your heart, if you find value in this conversation, 
If you are all about supporting women doing amazing things in the world, please go check out coffeebeansandlove.com. Contribute, support her. You can follow along with the journey on her website and also on Instagram at thebluehouse.co, which is her social impact film entertainment company. I'm really excited to be able to link arms and partner and then share it with you as well so we can all link arms together and create this beautiful film, Coffee Beans and Love. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Deja Renuka Henry on processing identity through film. Welcome to the What's Her Story podcast, Deja. Thank you so much for having me, Erica. Uh, I am literally elated. Like, I know I say that about every guest, but like, you know, notch it up a few notches <laughs> from how excited I am to have you on here. We haven't known each other that long, and yet I feel like we've known each other our whole lives. We just connected so genuinely, so quickly at Maya Elias's Impact Weekend. I still remember sitting down and I just kind of picked a seat, but I knew that God had like divine connections. So I was just like, okay, I don't know anyone sit down. And then I don't know which of us stood up to like share something on the mic first, but when you shared, I was like, oh, okay. I have to meet her. And then I shared and we were both looking at each other like, okay, we need lunch and we need dinner. And the next day I was like, okay, I think you're my best friend. (laughs) It just escalated very quickly. (laughs) And I'm so grateful. Like that whole weekend was amazing, but just meeting you was, that was why I was there. So I am really grateful to God for lining up cool things like that. Me too. I felt the same way. I was like, Lord, you just pick where I'm supposed to sit. It's interesting when you're in a room, like hundreds of women in the room and I'm Mm -hmm. like, Lord, you know, everyone, and I'm a bit of an introvert. So I just learned, (laughs) I just learned over a time, just trust the Lord, let him do it. And he did it. And that feeling was mutual. It felt like we, I've known, I knew you my whole life and yeah, it was so much fun. I still I remember our chicken and waffle meals. (laughs) Meals, multiple. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That was the best chicken and waffles. And that was an accident too. I I think it was a divine connection, divine timing. God's like, you need these chicken and waffles. They're going to change your life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They were great. Well, before our conversation, I've introduced everyone to you. I've read your bio, but I would love to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself in your own words, who's Deja Renuka Henry? Oh gosh, Deja Renuka Henry is a woman who is on a journey. Um, I'm an actor, I'm a filmmaker, I'm a student, a mother, wife. We just celebrated 20 years. Oh my a daughter. Gosh. Yeah. So I think at the core of who I am is someone who just wants to follow God and go on an adventure with him. Mm, That's beautiful. (laughs) I love that. It keeps all the possibilities open. It's not like I'm on a mission to do X, Y, Z. It's like, all right, I'm up for it. Yeah. As I get older, that's what I love, you know? Yeah. (laughs) It's like, you can't control everything. (laughs) 
Absolutely. It's pointless. So you might as well just surrender and release and follow. Well, he sure has taken you on quite an adventure so far. I feel like you have so many things going on and, you know, between, like you said, being a student again, getting your master's and social practice art, creating a documentary for yourself. You work with nonprofits, you have a family, you know, three kids, husband, and there's a core element to all of it. Like whether you're creating films or creating a multicultural family, this anchor seems to be in identity and social impact. I'd love for you to share more of where did this love, desire, fire come from with creating social impact? Yeah, so I think it started in my genetics before I was born, basically. So (laughs) my mother's parents have been pastors in their community in Jamaica for 60 years, over 60 years. And then my father is from India and his ancestors, from what we know, were did the priestly duties, the Hindu priest duties in the community. So I think I have generations of community workers and Mm. spiritual workers. And so then I grew up in a household where my mom was eventually called into the ministry. My parents started a mission in Jamaica and the U.S. And so I just grew up traveling with my parents around doing church in different places. Um, My father was Hindu when I was a child and then later converted to Christianity and they're both Lutheran pastors now however it stuck with me the eastern thoughts so I'm a Christian but I also don't shy away from conversations with people about their background and what they're going through and the questions they have because I think growing up with that duality as a child it just I wasn't afraid of it and then I just knew that it made me think like people are looking for God in all kinds of, from all kinds of backgrounds. It may not look the same, but essentially the heart is looking for the divine and looking for something outside of themselves, something bigger, like their meaning, their purpose. And so as I was growing with that background and and serving people and like literally going around with my mom, sharing about Jesus, knocking on doors you know, back in the eighties and, um, but help, she was always helping. My parents were always helping people and inviting people in and not to say like, as a teenager, there were moments where I was like, oh my gosh, like (laughs) we're having church at our house, you know, like, you know, all those things kind of being embarrassed a little bit of different, but the other side of being different was just the cultural side of being Jamaican and Indian and having these two cultures at home, going out to school and I really didn't know how to process it. I I had different experiences, especially when I was young, that were a bit traumatic at school, but I kind of like pushed all that down just to like live. And, you know, I was doing all these things in the world. Like I was a gymnast and I loved school and all these things, but then it started to impact me more as I got older First, I was very little. I grew up on a street that was very international. And then I moved and I was in a predominantly white community in school. And then I got married and I was in a predominantly 
black community and church Mm -hmm. and just navigating all these spaces until a few years ago like 2015 or 2016 we had gone through a pretty rough time in our life our family's Mm -hmm. life we had some gun violence in our neighborhood that really Mm -hmm. affected our family Mm -hmm. and just tried my faith and just turned everything around and Mm. completely just shifted everything. And then right after that, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Mm. And then like right after that, we lost my brother-in-law to gun violence and it was like really rough. And then I just was like, Lord, I, 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 and I had to quit my job that I liked. And the Lord was like, you need to quit. And I just fought him so hard. And the night before it was like pressure and I was mm. fighting with him in my spirit because mm. we just went through all of that hardship, finally saved up enough money, buy a new house. Mm. And my husband's job was like, he had his business and it, we were scared it was going to shut down. And then the Lord's like, quit your job. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I remember- This has to be the wrong voice. Yeah. Who is this? <laughs> this doesn't make sense. This is just the opposite of logic. And so I'm sitting on the couch and I'm just wrestling with the Lord. I'm like, I don't want to quit. I don't want to tell my boss. Like he held my job for me while I was in the mm-hmm. hospital. And then I just heard him say, I am your provider. Mm-hmm. Like, be quiet. Yeah, <laughs> I am do your what I said. Yeah, and it like knocked me to mm-hmm. my knees actually. And I had to repent. And mm-hmm. so I quit and my boss was understanding. It wasn't even that big of a deal. Wow. Um, and then I'm at home and I'm like, Lord, what am I? And he would not let me get a job. I mean, I would pick up the classifieds and I could feel God like staring me Slapping your hands. Like, no. (laughs) No. And so finally I felt like he had something really special for me. Mm. He was like, I have something for you. And I ended up becoming an AmeriCorps volunteer. For those of you who don't know, it's like Peace Corps in America. And I was with the Immigrant Refugee Service Corps. And I served for two terms and it changed my life because it started bringing back up things. Like, even though we tried to keep, we kept culture in my family, we talked about it, but I really had a processed thing. Mm-hmm. And so through that work, working with other immigrants, hearing more stories, I started relating to my parents, understanding why I never fit in, why my brain couldn't just understand some things in our culture and society because being a child of immigrants means you're still kind of an immigrant so finding like that space and finding those words and finding like other people like me with similar experiences and being able to talk about them started to really heal me Mm. and go back to heal that little girl that was like, I don't even know how to deal with this part of myself outside of my family in the world. I don't, I just couldn't figure it out. And it was causing me to get stuck in life and I couldn't put my finger on it. It was causing me to not be whole and walk in the world as a whole person um, because I just didn't know how to process it. And my parents didn't know. Yeah, It's kind Um, of survival mode. Like, okay, we're here. Let's do what we need to do. There's so much to adjust as an immigrant, let alone a parent. There's a whole nother level of processing for yourself when you realize, oh, my kids are going to be experiencing the same things if I don't 
also heal and help them process. Mm-hmm. It's a lot as a parent. Yeah. And they don't have their parents. They don't have their support. And then they have to learn each other because their cultures are so vastly different. How did they meet? I'm just curious. I can't remember how you, if you told me. Chicago. No, they were in, they were in Chicago. Um, They lived in the same apartment building. Mm. And um, I guess my dad had seen my mom around. Apparently he created a fake bridge club. (laughs) <laughs> to get my mom to invite her yeah to invite her and my mom was so like naive she was like yeah I'll go maybe I'll meet some cute guy she was not talking about my dad no. my dad is an adorable Indian man but she was not <laughs> looking for that and so they became like best friends oh. and then from there there's a, a whole story of how she was trying to go actually, I think to Florida and stay with her cousin and start a new life. My dad followed her there and proposed to her. And at first she was like, no. And then (laughs) her cousin was like, you see that man there, that is your husband. And so (laughs) say yes now. Yes. Yeah. They, they, she said, yes, they got married. They have an interesting story. And um, she, she said she didn't know other religions. And so when he talked about God, she didn't know he was like Hindu uh-huh. and because um, they would talk about God. So that's amazing. Yeah. Like you said, people are seeking for God and mm-hmm. there are so many underlying similarities between religions or thoughts and coming to the place where we can hear God inside of us and really trust that he's speaking to us and it may be through a different framework but just experiencing God and those open conversations are what keeps the walls down and the conversations open for processing and exploring and that's such a beautiful example that you had I hear how it's played out in bringing you to all these stops in your journey to really Mm -hmm. process identity yeah. And- so in AmeriCorps, I'm processing all this stuff and talking to people and hearing the stories like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one. You felt like that. Your parents said that. And it mm. and it didn't matter. Like throughout my life, I've had groups of friends that were kids of immigrants, but we never talked about stuff. I just mm. knew I felt comfortable. But then I was talking, we're starting to talk and talking to my kids more. And then at the same time, I made a film called Love Jordan, which is a mental health film. And then I was able to take that film into a white suburban community, a black urban church, into a church that had immigrants. And I'm having these conversations in all these places where I've had experience and maybe they're siloed, but I can go in all these worlds. And I started talking to teens. And so my heart started to open up seeing this merging of identity and film, social impact entertainment, and seeing that my gift as a storyteller can actually impact the world as a whole person who has started to reconcile their identity, their fractured identity. And so that led me into my master's with social practice art, which is basically learning for artists who want to do social impact work, even though I've been doing it for 18 years, like community art, 
this really kind of filled in the gaps, gave me a methodology, built my confidence, just so many things. It's been a great program, but all that long story to say, (laughs) these are how these things started to come together in my life Mm. and um, kind of produce the woman you see today. (laughs) Yes. And we're so grateful for that journey. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's where we initially bonded was, you know, my mission is to help women find their voice and use their story as a catalyst for change. And your social impact entertainment company and really helping highlight multicultural communities, representation, and creating the social impact through film is just beautiful. Like our paths are linear, right? Like film and writing, but just exploring our stories to know that, okay, this is not just valuable for me to process, but when I do, it does create this like external change and connection. I love for you to share like in your films, representation is very important, like central. I know it's important. I feel like my eyes were opened after I mean, marrying my husband, but also having kids to see, oh, this show that they love, it's like completely white culture. And there wasn't a lot of, it's getting better maybe now, but there wasn't a lot of integration. It was like very siloed, kind of like you're saying, okay, here's this community, but even like the Little Mermaid coming out, my daughter's so excited because another princess that is representative of her. So I just love for us to talk a little bit about representation in story. It's very, very important. When I was growing up in the 80s, 90s, you know, I I barely saw anybody who looked like me. And I think that actually affects your identity development. Because you, as a young person, you need to see that outside of yourself because it's part of how we develop who we are. And it's when you don't see that representation, it's almost like, do I exist? And that's a weird question to ask yourself, but it's the feeling that comes up. Like, do I exist in this world? How do I exist in this world? I don't see it. And so it's very important. And then the other thing is we know through studies that how Black men are represented in media affects their life. So to me, it's a like a life and death mm-hmm. thing. And the sad thing is when immigrants especially immigrants of color come to our country, they even have a perception about Black Americans because of media. And so it's just being continually perpetuated. But when you get to see yourself and see your stories, it solidifies, validates it. I think it it even opens up creativity. I love this show called Jane the Virgin, and it's about Mm -hmm. a family, I think Venezuelan family, three women, three generations. And even though it's not like specifically my culture, I loved that show because I could see my family in it. I could see Mm. myself. And so because stories can catalyze change, like what you're saying is then you, you can kind of put yourself in the story and then 
take some lessons, thoughts, that different things. Like I do this with my children all the time. When we watch something, I'll ask them a question. Funny enough, Little Mermaid was one of the first ones I would ask my kids. <laughs> like, so what do you think about Ariel's decision? And then they'll, you know, even though her dad said this, but she did this, what do you think? They're four and five. And so it was fun to hear what they said. Like, oh, well, I think she should have listened to her dad. And I think he cares about her. And so I asked my daughter yesterday, the same question. She's 17. And she said, well, Ariel had the right to be curious and her dad should have known she's going to go anyway. So he could have guided her better. So she didn't have to go to the witch. And I was like, that was really, you know, (laughs) deep (laughs) compared to the five-year-old. So I just think it's really important. And like, it's funny. It doesn't matter as much as we think to kids. Like I remember I played bell at my church Mm. and In the back of my mind, I was thinking, are the kids going to feel like that's not Belle? Nope, they did not care. (laughs) No. Little boys and girls were like, oh my gosh, they were so excited. Mm. And I felt like the parents, I saw some of the Black moms at church kind of give me this extra look like, thank you. Mm. You know, just in the eyes, um, Mm -hmm. just, just, Mm -hmm. I could just tell. And So it's important that we can see, all of us can see ourselves like that. I remember even with Wonder Woman for the first time seeing like this female action hero like this. Yes. And I remember crying, like there was this opening scene and the women were like fighting and they're on the horse. And I just remember feeling so emotional and I didn't know why. And I was like, is this what white men get to feel all the time? Like, when you watch <laughs> yeah. superheroes? like I just, I felt so powerful. Yeah. And then the woman King came out with Viola Davis and oh it just gosh. took it. Oof. Yeah. It just takes it to another level. Like if I was to talk to any woman who could see, we all know we're powerful. We know mm-hmm. we can do many things. We was Beyonce say, birth the babies and go back to business like (laughs) we can do it all (laughs) we know we're powerful it's but to see it you know Mm. is so amazing and so with my films I want to do that in my upcoming film I'm telling my own story and I'm very excited about it I am very excited about it too because you've been making films for nonprofits Mm -hmm. and sharing very important stories it's still their story. And so being able to step in, and that was one thing we talked about when we met, you're like, I feel like it's time. Like, I feel it's time for me to really step into sharing my story. So can you tell us a little bit about Coffee, Beans, and Love? Yes. Um, I'm so excited. I had this story in me like 15 years ago, but now's the time. It's called Coffee, Beans, and Love. And it's, I'll just tell you the log line. It's about a passionate mother who fights to save her immigrant parents' cafe from a powerful real estate mogul. So that's kind of like the log line, but it really deals with themes of family and a multi-generational, multi-ethnic family. So I wanted to finally tell a story that had characters that were from different parts of the world but they're a family mm-hmm. and also my own journey with thinking that success looked a certain way mm-hmm. and I think our culture in America tells us go to school get a good job move away from home make a lot of money and it's like this 
thing where you almost have to separate from your family and do everything on your own. And so it's a journey of a mother who tries to do it all. And the more she tries, the worse it gets on her own (laughs) until she finally lets her family help her in their own weird way. (laughs) (laughs) Very Um, relatable. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. Yes, because we weren't created to live in isolation. So many cultures outside of the United States are community-based cultures. Like it literally takes a village to raise a child. And we've just gotten here in the United States so independent. And I know it was stemming from, okay, yes, women can work. And there's a big drive for independence, but it's also lonely when you're in isolation you've moved away from home like as soon as we got married we moved to Indiana ironically where you live like (laughs) we left his family was still in Nigeria and England and it gave us an opportunity to grow in a marriage and I think that was very valuable but there's such a beautiful community aspect of family and even when we weren't near biological family. We found a beautiful family in Indiana, like very diverse. I was very surprising to me that Indiana was one of the most diverse place we've ever lived in all of our moves. And it did take being intentional. And I think that's part of social impact also is being very intentional about the friends you make, the communities you are in, the church you attend. I'm always looking at our neighborhood for the kids and like Keila's in chorus. And there might be like four or five other kids of color. Of course, she's just saying, and I don't think she necessarily recognizes it, but there's part of my heart that's saying, I need to be very aware of this because her age and everything, like she's 10 it is really impactful as you grow up. I'm really excited to also watch your film and be a part of the process as you're creating it. What can people do? Because I'll just say, as a white woman, when I became a lot more intentional and aware about identity, I wanted to do something. And doing something always looks different for each person based on their surrounding, based on their level of impact or where their gifts are. So it is not a prescribed like what to do, but you are making something very tangible. And how is this becoming a community effort? Yes, so there are a few things. I think the first step for anyone is self-awareness, is just becoming aware. And then God is like working on me about something. And I want to be at the end where I'm like doing the thing and change. But I realize he's taking me through a period of Mm self-awareness and just being aware. Like you said, it's not rushing into things, but like I have to change really internally the filter in which I look at life or look at things. And that takes time when you've had so many years of looking at the world one way. And so now I would say, just spend the time being aware, aware of your thoughts, aware of how you look at things, aware of how you perceive experiences, 
how you think about racial inequities you see in the news or in community or I would say observe and like take note of what you think I would say read educate yourself read as much as you can there's lots of books on this topic and this is what I've noticed too for even myself who is a woman of color and other immigrants who are people of color know the history of this country that is a very powerful thing because you can be aware of things and still walk in freedom. But I would say you got to be aware. And that's taking some power. All of us um, who want to make change when it comes to like racial healing. Because I remember learning about things that they don't teach now. I remember learning about the Moors and Spain and all of this stuff. They don't teach it. So I think everyone has to like get educated on the history of this country so that we understand how things in the past are affecting things now. Mm-hmm. Because if when you're ready to go out there and have these conversations, it's very easy to get triggered. Mm-hmm. And you have to do that inner work first. Because I've had conversations with my friends who are white and I didn't realize the reaction because they were my friends for so long. I think they felt really bad. They're like, we didn't know. Oh my. And then it just, it was Mm. like having to spend the time to process with them, but it wasn't the right time because I wasn't ready to process. That's a big burden on people of color. Like it shouldn't be your responsibility to help us process things that we're just being woken up to far later than should. Yeah. And it was complicated because those were my friends I'd gone to college with and lived together with and been through things with, but we never talked about this stuff. So half of us are immigrant kids and the other half are white. And so we started talking and it it took me a lot to process because I was like, it was like my friend, but also these things for me. And it's complicated. And then the next thing is if you can make a connection for somebody like, as a person of color, access is something that's denied a lot. Mm. And so I've had some friends who are allies just make a connection for me and kind of step back or ask mm. me, how can I support or just, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to say it, but it's really a recalibration of, like I said before, being aware that there are inequities mm-hmm. first. I think that's one argument. Like, are there actually inequities? Well, yes, there are. And there's a reason and it's baked into the system. (laughs) And so you first have to believe that. And Mm -hmm. then from there, it's like, now, you know, like, how am I supposed to show up for this person? And also it's not going to be perfect. It's really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of us mess up. There's even a thing called colorism that happens. Mm -hmm. It's like once you get the tip of the iceberg, there's so many <laughs> levels. And so I really would say, don't rush, just keep mm-hmm. educating yourself and keep observing and taking note first. Everybody has to heal from this in mm-hmm. this country. Mm-hmm. And I think in white culture, it's used to jumping in to help and having resources to help, but it doesn't just work like that. And that's just yeah. general general community work you have to like take the time to observe the community build a relationship with the community 
mm-hmm. understand what the community needs, and then empower the community to make the change. So that's like, yeah, general- instead of just throwing <laughs> money at something and being like, I helped, I did, yeah. you know, I threw this, but it's the connections and building relationships yeah. and empowering. Money helps. Yeah, <laughs> it does. Not but, that. but you see like um, nonprofits and grants, like they're changing structure now to say, who are the people in the community that can use the money for direct services? And that's stuff I learned in my community work and my master's. But yeah, I hope that answered the question. Yeah. But uh, when I walk through my aligned author process, we start with alignment and like really evaluating our values and our identity, why we have those values. Were they just something we picked up? And that's the same, like a lens. We've been wearing glasses given to us from society and the systems that were already made to like skew how we see things. And so being able to evaluate and look at ourselves first and then having those open conversations or Rachel Luna has her book, like permission to offend. And it's not about offending people, but more about having the capacity to hear other perspectives and internalize it in a way that's impactful and cause change in us um, or in the other person. But it's just that open dialogue. So important. Well, I just want to keep talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) I always end our conversation with two questions. And the first one is, what has been an impactful book that has helped you in your journey to where you are today? Yeah, so I was thinking about that question. And honestly, right now in my life, (laughs) the Bible has been (laughs) impacting me a lot. Um, I have to read so many books for school. And everything I've been going through right now, like it's just been a lot. And so I've been going back into scripture, but I've been reading Genesis over and over again. And I, you know, something we like skim through Mm -hmm. and I'm looking at it differently now, especially as we grow. The wonderful thing about the Bible is like, it's alive and you read it and you get something new from when you're a kid. And so right now, the Bible has just impacted me. God's word, it like helps me get through every day. Right now, God's been dealing with me about letting go of how I think things are supposed to be. Mm. And he's been teaching me that. So I said I had MS, but I deal with a lot of pain. And recently, very recently, he's been showing me in real time how that's, that is connected to my pain. Mm. Wanting to do things my own way, thinking I have the better strategy than God and not really knowing. But when I look back at Eve, it wasn't bad that she wanted wisdom. It was how she went about it, thinking she knew this is the way to get it. And Mm. God had a different way. But I'm also starting to read this book called The Monk Within. And Mm. I can't remember who wrote it. I'll I'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. The Monk Within. Yeah. And oh my gosh, the first pages was like speaking to the depth of my soul. I mean, Mm. things that I'd never even thought other people thought about. And it's just this idea that every human being needs time to reflect 
to do inner work, to search, like official monks take vows of certain things, but even though the woman who wrote it is a monk, but she is kind of expanding what we think about it, but saying like every person needs that thing and we don't have it anymore because Mm -hmm. of everyone's life is a million miles per minute. And then when you have a break, you're trying to be on social media. And then if you have business, you're trying to create content. It's like so much. And um, this book is just, I mean, the first chapter already is blowing my mind. So I'm actually excited to take some of those philosophies and put them into my master's work, Mm -hmm. my thesis, because I'm working with kids to use film to process identity. And yeah, and understanding through the creative process, we need reflection and quiet time. And I want to create that space for the kids to sit there and without what they call the white gaze of the world that we live in every day or W.E. DuBose called um, double consciousness. And that's like being constantly aware of how you're being looked at and having to deal with how you look at the world. And I dealt with that a lot, not knowing what it was, even though my dad told me, he's like, don't look at the world through other people's eyes. But I didn't understand the psychological like underpinnings of that. And so I want to encourage the kids I work with to have the courage to carve out time for themselves and have that reflection and think about who am I? How do I show up in the world? What do I like? What do I feel passionate about? So yeah, Mm. it's a long-winded answer. (laughs) It was perfect. I actually have chills. What a valuable gift to start with our next generation. What a valuable gift to give to a young person to get that reflection time and be able to process identity at a younger age. Like it shouldn't have to wait until the thirties or forties for that. So it's so beautiful. So wonderful. The second question you kind of already answered, but I'll open it up. What confident action step would you like to leave with our listeners? I'm going to say this from experience is for me as a filmmaker, you can have a movie in your head, but that doesn't mean the movie is made. So you got to make the movie you can make. (laughs) So I just, that can literally stop you from taking action because you're like, I have this, it's all in my head. I have this vision and you want to actually create that thing, but that's not actually how it works. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really powerful when you learn that yes, we have the power to create. I had a mentor tell me it's going to be so much better because our fear is that it's going to be worse than what's in our head. But the truth is it's going to be better. And he told me that when I was making the documentary and I was so, I just finished a documentary on prison reentry and I was so worried. I wanted to honor everyone's stories. I wanted it to be really good. And he said, it's going to be better because you're working with other people. Uh And so I would encourage you to take the next clear step, which is with faith, knowing that the next one will appear. Like there's a story in the Bible of these priests that were crossing over this river called the Jordan. And that was the only way, but the river parted. And it's not just a little river, like it was big and it flooded during certain seasons. And so the time they had to lead the people across was the flood time. 
when the priest put their toe in the water, it parted. And so I always think about, you've got to take that first little teensy wincy little toe step <laughs> and, the, and you, the next thing can happen. So how life actually works is you take one step at a time. <laughs> and I would just say that would be my, my advice. Uh, take that first toe step to get it out. Yes. I love it. It's perfect. You're wonderful. <laughs> Where can all the people find you to connect with you, support you, to know along the journey of you creating your coffee beans and love documentary, all the places? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at Dija Renuka, D I J A R E N U K A. And my Blue House, my company's Instagram is at thebluehouse.co. And I have links on there to my website. Thebluehouse.co is the website. And I'm in the development process for Coffee Beans and Love, which is my eighth film, but my first feature. Amazing. Yeah. So if you guys want to join me on my journey, um, I encourage you to connect with me on Instagram. I'll be sharing my crowdfunding page and I have some amazing perks for you guys um, to be a part of this film to be part of bringing representation and it's a faith-based film so just increasing the representation in that genre as well you guys can be a part of that just by supporting the making this film so Mm. yeah thank you yes when we all link arms together we can create even more impact, social impact and change. And I just, I appreciate you putting your toe out there and just keep on stepping out and doing amazing things. Deja, thank you for sharing your story. It's so beautiful. Thank you for having me, Erica. This was so much fun. It was fun. I will have (laughs) you back. I promise. And I'll link all of the places people can find you and the books and anything else that you mentioned, I'll put them in the show notes. I know DJ and I would love to hear from you what your biggest takeaway from this conversation was. You can take a screenshot of this episode and then tag both me, Erica.McKingboye and DJ Renuka on Instagram. We would love to connect with you and continue this conversation. So thank you everyone for tuning in and spending this time with us on the What's Her Story podcast. See you later. Thanks for listening to What's Her Story. I love spending time with you. Now, I'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and leave a review because I love hearing from you. And if you found value in this episode, share it with a friend and then come hang out with me on Instagram at Erica. Be sure to check out the show notes. I've included all important notes and links, including how you can get the latest free download that is exactly how to use your story to create social change. I'll be back here next week and hope you will be too. See you there, friend.